please join me in reading the litany of invitation and confession printed in your worship bulletin. God calls us away from aimless living and from long nights of hopelessness. God calls us toward faith and hope and love. God calls us toward joy, and yet we have often settled for despair. We confess that we, like the disciple Thomas, think that we need more proof in order to believe. Too often, we allow our doubts to be dead ends rather than doorways. We confess our shortcomings and sins, and we ask God to forgive us. Sisters and brothers, God attends to the lonely. God will give strength to the frail. As we make our confessions, God meets us with grace and love and forgiveness. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. I'm so glad to be with you. If you are visiting us, we welcome you. And notice that on the order of worship, there is an insert that you can tear off and mark your attendance. We'd love to be in touch with you in the weeks that follow. If you have a prayer request that you would like the staff of Northside Drive Baptist Church to pray for during this week, you may also put that prayer request right here on the same insert and put that in the offering plate uh, when the offertory occurs. Well, we're still in Easter. It's the second week of Easter. Easter lasts for 50 days from Easter Sunday until Pentecost Sunday, which will be on May 20th of this year. And the text that you'll hear today and the text that you'll hear from the lectionary during the Easter Sundays are some, re- some post-resurrection texts some texts from the Acts of the Apostles. You'll hear today the joy of the Christian community that was so astonished by the resurrection that they began to live together and share all their possessions as one. You'll hear from that beautiful letter of 1 John. The celebration of the risen Christ leads to a declaration of love and of light casting out darkness. And then finally, you'll hear from the Gospel of John. You'll hear that familiar text of Thomas, who was so astonished and joyful at seeing the risen Lord with his wounds intact that he gave a remarkable confession of faith. May that be our confession as we meet the risen Lord this morning in worship, as we continue our worship by hearing these scriptures read. In the spirit of Christ, the early church shared their possessions and lived in community. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. 
Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Here ends the first lesson. Let's pray. Living God, on the second Sunday of Easter, we still remember and celebrate the faithful women who proclaimed the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And the world was changed forever. Teach us to keep faith with them, that our witness may be bold, our love as deep, and our faith as true. God, as we move through every sorrow and trial of this life, uphold us with knowledge that Easter will come. We will share in his resurrection, redeemed and restored to the fullness of life. You made this world in beauty, and you restore all things through Christ. We pray that wherever your image is still disfigured by poverty, sickness, selfishness, war, and greed, you may move us to action through justice, love, and peace. Open our hearts to your power moving around us and between us and within us until your glory is revealed in our love of both friend and enemy and communities transformed by justice and compassion and in the healing of all that is broken. In your holy name we pray. Amen. God invites us to walk in God's light and love and grace. A reading from the first letter of John. 1 John 1, 5 through 22. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But... If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here ends the second lesson. Girls and boys, you can join us at the front.
All right. It is so good to see you all. How many of you are on spring break this week? You went to the beach. Yeah, very cool. You had Easter egg day? Well, I brought a picture. That's me. Probably hard to recognize me. It was when I was in high school. That is someone named Mike. He was my youth minister. And that's Lisa and Alyssa. And they were two of my best friends. We, listen to this, we were in the... Where's my brother? He's not here. He lives in Birmingham. But, anyways, we were in the Czech Republic on a mission trip. And I brought this picture because I really love Mike, my youth minister. He taught me so much when I was in the youth ministry. He taught me all about God and about the church and how much God loves me. And he even helped me realize that I wanted to go into ministry. He cared for me and he taught me. Who cares for you? Who comforts you? Uh, going to the beach. Going to the beach. Me too. <laughs> Who teaches you? Uh, the teachers. Teachers. Yeah. Sunday school teachers or teachers at school. That's right. And I bet your parents comfort you and care for you. Yeah. There's a story in the Bible that happened a long time ago. Oh. Yeah. But the story happened right after Easter. What did we celebrate on Easter? Uh, bunnies. Bunnies? But what else? Uh, eggs. Eggs? What else? Uh, Jesus. Jesus. Yes, Jesus came back to life. And this story happened when Jesus had risen from the dead. See, he went to the disciples and he said, Even though I might not be here, you are never alone. What could he have meant by that? Maybe that God was always with them? That the Holy Spirit was always going to be with them? Do you think the Holy Spirit is with you? Yes, all the time. The Holy Spirit is all around us, even though we can't see him, see the Holy Spirit. So whenever you might feel afraid, or you feel like you're uncomfortable, you can know that the Holy Spirit is with you and is going to keep you safe and care for you. Okay? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus and for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to surround us and comfort us whenever we might feel alone. In your name we pray. Amen.
a resurrection appearance of Jesus to the disciples with a personal invitation to Thomas, a reading from the Gospel according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, then I will not believe. So a week later, his disciples were together again in the house, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? For blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. This last week, we observed the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And James took a pilgrimage from Atlanta to Memphis and was there with other clergy observing the anniversary. And I went back and listened to King's last sermon. He gave it in Memphis before an assassin's bullet shot him down. The sermon was called, I See the Promised Land. And it was April 3, 1968. He, King was 39. King spoke about when he was 29. He said a deranged woman had tried to kill him during a book signing, stabbed him in the chest. Doctor told him if he had sneezed, the blade would have sliced an artery, ended his life. That's how close he was. King said he was glad he didn't sneeze. He would have missed seeing the sit-ins at lunch counters in the South. He would have missed the passage of the Civil Rights Bill. He would have missed the march at Selma. 
You know, and at this point in 1968, King was deeply unpopular. Something like two-thirds of the American population had an unfavorable view of him. He'd taken a strong stance against the Vietnam War. He was always accused of stirring up trouble. He was there fighting for sanitation workers in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and death threats were a regular part of his life. And at the end of his sermon, he said, he said, I don't know what will happen now, but it doesn't matter with me now. You'll know this part, because I've been to the mountaintop. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory and as soon as he said glory, the, the acclamation of the crowd drowned out his last words of the coming of the Lord. King had seen the glory. He had seen resurrection power at work. You know, there were a lot of questions that the civil rights movement had asked and had yet to be answered. A lot of questions yet to be asked and answered. But King had, I think, perhaps for maybe the first time in his life, peace. I think that's kind of like what happened to Thomas in the Gospel of John. He was not at peace with himself. He was beset by fear and anxiety, but then he saw the glory of the Lord, and peace came into his life. And I bet you Dr. King had a lot of questions why did white people hate blacks so much? Why did little children have to be terrorized and bombed? Why did America treat its poor so badly? And Thomas, who you just heard in the text, he had a lot of questions too. And over the years, I've compiled a list of questions that I'd like to ask God if I ever get an opportunity. I'm going to write them down in this little book here. Why do children get sick? Why did the Holocaust happen? I bet you have some of your own questions that you'd like to ask God if you have the opportunity. Some of you might ask, did the resurrection really happen? And you know, that's a perfectly fine question because it's the question that was asked right there in the gospel that you heard this morning. It's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. They asked the same question. We're not even a week into Easter, and folks are already asking, did the resurrection really happen? That's what Thomas was asking. And all this trouble with Thomas began because he wasn't there on Easter when Jesus made his appearance to the disciples. Usually folks wait until the Sunday after Easter to not show up to church. But Thomas had it all backwards. He was a no-show for the Easter service. And he missed out on all the amazing things that had happened. I mean, if you know that story, you know, you just heard Jesus walk through a wall. He showed the disciples his wounds. He breathed the Holy Spirit upon them, and then he disappeared. So when Thomas heard that, he had a, a very natural response. He wanted what they experienced. He said, I want to see the wounds too. In fact, he says, unless I get to touch the wounds, I will not believe. The Italian painter Caravaggio painted his imagination of the scene. You can see that on the front of your order of worship. 
The painting is called The Incredulity of St. Thomas. And look at it. Thomas is uh, poking his finger into Jesus' side in the painting. It's a stunning painting, painted in about 1602, and you can see the humanity of Christ. There's no halo, is there? You can see the furrowed growls of the disciples as they look over Thomas' shoulder. You can see the look of utter astonishment that's on Thomas's face, or face, rather. Problem is, is that this never happened as it's depicted in the Gospel of John, although I love this painting. I think it maybe tells us more about Caravaggio than it does about Thomas. Perhaps Caravaggio's faith required that extra step of reaching out and touching the risen Christ before belief could become reality. What actually happened is is Jesus shows up again a week after Easter, and this time Thomas is there. And he figured he wasn't going to miss out on resurrection again. And sure enough, here comes Jesus walking through the walls again. And I bet Thomas's jaw dropped wide open. He had called Jesus bluff, hadn't he? He said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the wounds. And there Jesus was, ready to satisfy every demand. I mean, if you think your questions are a bit bold for God, perhaps you're embarrassed to ask them. Maybe you're wondering, did the resurrection really happen? Then you are in great company. I mean, lots of people ask bold questions in the Bible. John the Baptist was Jesus' relative. He foretold his arrival. He preached about him. He baptized him. I mean, he baptized him. But when he got thrown in jail, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one, or should we expect another? I mean, can you imagine the audacity to ask that that question? Right to Jesus' face. And Thomas was one of the original disciples, one of the original 12. He'd heard Jesus preach. He'd saw him perform miracles. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. But then he watched Jesus die. And he had a question. Did Jesus really come back from the dead? So if you've got questions for Jesus, that's okay. It's nothing Jesus hasn't been asked before. Jesus said to Thomas, I heard you had some questions for me. That's my translation. So here I am. Go ahead. Put your finger here. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. But Thomas didn't reach out his hand. He didn't touch Jesus at all. Why not? I mean, he'd made such a big deal out of it, right? That's what he wanted. That's what he said had to happen before he believed. Maybe he felt on the spot in front of the other disciples. You know, he figured a real believer wouldn't go through with actually touching the wounds. Jesus' words were enough. But maybe something deeper was going on. Did you notice that the resurrected Jesus has wounds on his body? That is a tectonic shift in theology. I mean, God used to be abstract, way up there in the heavens, and sovereign, cannot change, cannot die, cannot be harmed in any way. Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. 
That's what he said to Moses. And Isaiah had his holy visions in the year that King Uzziah died. He saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Sounds pretty intimidating, doesn't it? But the tectonic shift of the gospel is that the God who became incarnate in Jesus Christ bears the wound of human suffering. And do you think Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of God, as Scripture tells us, with those wounds on his body still? I believe. Maybe God needs to be reminded of what it is like to suffer. Maybe God hears your prayer in all its humanity because God knows what it's like to be human. And perhaps Thomas's epiphany of faith came about when he saw the wounds. You see, I believe Thomas was not at peace with himself. He had abandoned Jesus at the cross just like so many others. He'd missed out on the big post-resurrection Easter party. He thought, it's too late for me. And he wanted desperately, he wanted more than anything, to have peace in his life. He saw the wounds. He, he realized this man he'd been following around, who he called Rabbi, that he was God. I mean, that's what he blurted out, didn't he? He blurted it out, my Lord and my God. And maybe that's where you are this morning. You're carrying around some wounds, some scars. You're wondering, does God hear my prayer? Does God even know I'm alive? Does God know how wounded I really am? You're looking for the same thing that the disciples search for, which all human beings search for, peace in your life. I've still got my questions, okay? You've got yours. And we can talk about them. This church is a safe place to ask any question that you like. But here's the truth. When we have asked all of our questions, when we have exhausted the boundaries of our doubt, God will not go away. He will not go away, no matter how bold and provocative our questions are. God is not scared of our questions. We invite him into deeper relationship by asking them. And Thomas brought the hardest question that he had. He brought it right to Jesus' face. Are you real? Did you really get resurrected? Now, you remember what Jesus said to Thomas before he offered to show the wounds. Do you remember what he said to the disciples? He said it over and over again. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And all of Thomas's questions, they melted away, and he responded with joy, my Lord and my God. And we shouldn't be surprised. When we get God's peace in our life, we will cry out with astonishment and joy, too. Amen.
as is our tradition whenever a word is offered, an invitation to discipleship is given. And you just heard the words of Thomas, the astonishing confession of faith, my Lord and my God. If you're looking for peace in your life, we invite you to respond this morning as we sing the hymn of dedication, 768. It offers words of peace. It offers words of communion to prepare us for the communion we're about to partake in. And as we sing, let us stand. Together, we bring all our celebrations and our concerns and announcements, and I bring a few of those to you this morning. Our creation care team met in the drizzling rain at Murphy Candler Park in Brookhaven yesterday morning to take part in the Sweep the Hooch event, which is an environmental uh, effort that took place yesterday all across the Chattahoochee River. I, they were expecting, I think, over 900 volunteers. Is that right, group? There were a lot in our little section, and you wouldn't believe the stuff that we pulled out of the river. Really amazing. But as depressing as that was, it redeemed my faith in humanity to be with so many others that are concerned about the environment uh, from our church and to see others who are concerned about our community take place or take part with that. I'm sure you noticed as you came in this morning in the narthex that there are 
Andrew P. Stewart Center posters. The center has long been one of the cornerstones of, of missions at Northside Drive, both through financial support and hands-on activities. It was originally founded in 1916 by Baptist women to provide childcare for mothers who worked in the mills of the English Avenue area. It's now in its 102nd year, and the center continues to expand its scope of activities throughout Atlanta. We'd ask you as you leave today to please take a few minutes to, to look at the posters that are out there, to talk to Kathy Harris, one of the uh, uh, missions team members, former member of the Stewart Center Board, correct? She'll be there to help guide you through the posters and answer any questions, so we invite you to do that. I read this morning, turning to our prayer concerns, of a potential chemical weapons attack in Syria. And many, many people had died and many people are suffering. So we pray for the families and children who are suffering at this very hour in Syria from that devastating attack. In, in our own community, our prayers are with those who continue to grieve loss and pain. And our prayers are with Jane Jordan. I went to see Jane on Thursday at Piedmont Hospital, and she specifically asked that I tell all of you hello. So from Jane to you, hello. May the Spirit of Christ be with her this morning as she recovers, hoping to be discharged very soon from the hospital. The aria that you're about to hear sung by Jenna Gould is, I know that my Redeemer liveth. It was written as a solo aria by George Friedrich Handel, and it's from the Messiah, which we also heard during the Easter service last week. The text that's printed in your order of worship is taken from two biblical passages, Job 19 and 1 Corinthians 15, and it is the perfect musical response to the church's joyful declaration of Easter resurrection. Let us continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
We celebrate these gifts, O God, as tokens of our love and commitment to you. We pray that we may use them for the benefit of your kingdom and for those in need. And for all of us who have burning questions and doubt, we pray that you would hear our questions as invitations to grow nearer to you. May you continue to show up in our lives with resurrection power. In Christ's name, amen. Now we will celebrate Holy Communion. Inside your order of worship is an insert that has the words to follow along. All are invited to participate in communion. This is God's table. This morning we'll take communion by kneeling at the chancel rail for those who are able to kneel. If you are unable to kneel, then you may stand and receive that way, or you may signal to one of the ushers or one of our celebrants who will bring it to you in the pew where you sit. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with all the company of heaven, who forever proclaim the glory of your name, singing... Please be seated. On the night of Jesus' suffering and death, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup. And having given thanks, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. 
We celebrate the memorial of Christ's redeeming gift, O God, through this meal that speaks of both sacrifice and thanksgiving. Recalling Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, we celebrate these holy mysteries. Sanctify us and your entire church, that we may remain faithful in love and hope as we follow Jesus Christ our Lord. And hear us, O God, as we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The gifts of God for the people of God. All of God's people are welcome at this table. Take these gifts in remembrance that Christ died and was raised. And therefore, let us come to the table in thanksgiving and hope.
Please stand for the prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, we give you thanks for having refreshed us at your table as we have celebrated the presence of Christ. Deepen our faith, increase our love for one another, and send us forth into the world in strength and in peace, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. hear this good word, this benediction, and now to the one who by the power at work among you is able to accomplish abundantly far more than you could ever ask or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever. Amen. Amen.